0: hey everybody welcome to the daily objective and uh by now you've probably heard there's some news coming out of the supreme court and a lot of things relating to abortion roe v wade etc and we are going to get into all of that please go ahead leave a like on the video please go ahead hit that join button to help support the channel the network as well as unlock some cool features and content also if you're watching this not live but you're watching it later you can hit the super thanks button which allows you to leave us a tip. Believe me, this organization does not survive on good vibes alone. Speaking of good vibes, we have a, a co-host slash guest today who uh, let's just say he, uh, he knows, uh, he's prepared much more than I have today. Please welcome James Valiant. Well, hey Rucka, how you doing? Pretty good. So let me start with this question, like asking for a friend, if let's say someone wasn't really in the habit of preparing for his podcast and didn't really know what's going on with the Supreme (laughs) Court and Roe v. Wade, can you like summarize uh, what's going on? Well, sure.
1: There have been a number of states that have recently passed uh, very restrictive abortion laws, whether it's in Oklahoma, which basically bans abortion, or in the case here that's before the Supreme Court, uh, the case of Dobbs versus the Women's Center of Jackson, Mississippi. And in Mississippi, they passed a law that said pretty much any abortion after 15 weeks, there has to be a medical emergency or a a severe deformation of the fetus before they would allow an abortion. So most abortions after 15 weeks, absent some kind of medical emergency, are banned uh, under the recent law that Mississippi passed. Uh, This is in direct violation. It was an affront to existing Supreme Court law, which famously protects a woman's right to have an abortion until viability under the new standard that the Supreme Court uses. Any undue burden on a woman's right to get an abortion before the fetus is viability. Now, most experts do not put viability as early as 15 uh, weeks, which is where the Mississippi law draws the line. So going all the way up to the Supreme Court, the, the federal courts just knocked it down as a violation of the uh, existing Supreme Court precedent guaranteeing a woman's right to an abortion prior to viability, uh, which is the new standard under the so-called Casey rule, which is a Supreme Court case that was decided a while back. Um, and it's because they passed these laws and they're challenging these laws because of Trump's new appointments to the Supreme Court. Uh, Trump put you know, three Supreme Court justices, which really dramatically affected the conservative majority on the court. The Supreme Court normally, uh, they heard this case back in December, oral arguments, and the oral arguments suggested the Supreme Court might be signaling uh, change, although the, even the conservatives have various opinions on this. Apparently, back in February, Justice Alito, who is a well-known conservative, and his position isn't terribly much of a surprise, but he apparently had a draft opinion uh, uh, formed. And this is how the Supreme Court does their work. They take an initial vote to see where the justices are on legal issues, on the big issues about the case, maybe the outcome. And then based on that initial vote, they'll assign, start assigning people to write opinions. And those opinions, though, are only draft opinions and they can often be changed they can often the votes of the parties can often change since then each justice might write a dissent or a concurrence so and that might change over time but apparently the first draft which got an initial at least indications that an initial majority was at least going with his conclusion uh, back in february but that two days ago it was leaked and politico ran a story uh, uh, indicating what the initial vote was and the full content of this draft. And that is an unprecedented moment in Supreme Court history. Uh, in the modern Supreme Court history, over at least the last hundred years, the Supreme Court has kept very tight lipped about their opinions because they need to share their opinions with one another, argue it about, you know, within themse- their own uh, councils, decide where they're uh, going in a confidential way that's free of any political influence. And so this breach of confidentiality was a very significant one. Uh, normally, we would, when cases are heard in the fall or winter of the previous year, it's usually around June that the Supreme Court will come out with its final opinion. So we may have a few weeks. This may, this leak may accelerate it, but we uh, uh, could have just a few weeks before this decision comes out. Now, the, the decision that Alito, the draft opinion that we have. Is a stunning one in the sense that it completely overturns Roe versus Wade, the fifty-year-old, almost fifty-year-old decision now, uh, guaranteeing a woman's right to uh, an abortion, uh, as well as the uh, Casey case that I mentioned, which uh, made viability an new burden the standard for abortion laws. Does that make sense?
0: <laughs> uh, I mean, it uh, in in a sense it does. In a, in a sense, none of this makes sense. But um, yeah, I mean. So uh before Roe v Wade or or I could say if Roe v Wade is overturned now this means that individual states can outlaw abortion that's what the that's what that would mean
1: Yeah I read the entire Alito opinion draft opinion <laughs> that was leaked and circulated because it has the entire opinion has been leaked with the mm-hmm. date and the name of the justice who wrote the opinion that is entirely unprecedented in history I think it was a leak an illegal leak frankly because federal uh, documents are governed by uh, federal law and it was a leak done for political purposes obviously um the context here is obviously the democrats fearing the Republicans, uh, a wave election that may be coming in November, I I think the strong suspicion has to be that some left-leaning uh, clerk for some Supreme Court justice leaked this uh, full draft of this opinion. Now, if Alito's opinion is followed, it, as I say, it would be a total overturning of Roe versus uh, and Casey. uh, And it would end, in effect, he would just state the end of any federal right to an abortion at all protected by the Constitution. And that, yes, would have the immediate effect of throwing it back to the states so that the states would be in charge. The effect of that, of course, would be under current political situation, because now it's subject to the vote of the people in in politics, because it's not a guaranteed constitutional right, it would depend on the states. States like California, Oregon, Colorado, New York, New Jersey would surely still have very liberal abortion laws. But many states, in fact, most states, many states just already have laws that would trigger into action once the supreme court overturned this other states would surely join in too probably a majority of states in the interior of the country would have severe restrictions or outlaw abortion that wouldn't be the end of this Because there'd still be more abortion, uh, uh, I think, cases coming up to the Supreme Court for a refinement of what that means. And just having this draft opinion uh, from Alito, even if it forms the basis for a majority opinion, doesn't tell us what the concurring opinions will be. Even the justices who would agree with the majority. And that could affect uh, the way lawyers understand the holding. Uh, And it it may change. That is to say, even Alito might change his mind after discussions, Uh, but as drafted, it would overturn Roe and Casey as such and throw it completely back to state law to decide these matters. Places like Mississippi might not even stop at 15 weeks. They might go further. Because, you know, the scientists tell us that viability doesn't really occur until 20 some weeks, uh, that it's impossible before that point. So 15 weeks is already well before viability and the Casey standard and overturning it on this level might just throw it out altogether and states could do whatever they want, or it might not. There might be a nuanced position that finally comes out at the end of the day when we get the final decision in June that says, well, under certain circumstances that I can't right now foresee, uh, it is or isn't a right. Uh, So we really don't know the outcome yet, but at least we have a strong indication that the Supreme Court, a majority on the Supreme Court, is willing to uphold the Mississippi law. Banning most abortions after 15 weeks. And uh, Alito is the one who is right, one of the most conservative anti abortion justices is writing the majority opinion. That bodes the death nail for uh, abortion rights as a constitutional right.
0: So, the, uh, the, your, are you suggesting that this was leaked by a left leaning? I mean, left in this case, not not the wrong side of we agree with this clerk possibly that abortion should remain legal. So they they possibly leaked it so to motivate voters in the midterms. Is that the idea? I think that's
1: probably the most likely scenario here. Now, I don't know for sure. It's to some degree I'm speculating based on you know my political hunches. And that's really all it is, is a political hunch. I don't think that conservatives would have the same political motive. In other words, to pre-release this. Although it could be, it's possible that it could be a conservative clerk or a conservative employee of the, uh, of the Supreme Court who did leak this in an attempt to force the other conservatives to go along with it. Uh, you know, pressure from the right. That's a theoretical possibility. I just think it's more likely, you know, I, my suspicion meter is more likely that because things have been going in the polls so poorly for Democrats, they wanted to change the dynamic of this summer's election, elections, mm-hmm. primary elections, and the buildup to the election in November.
0: Okay. Um, now, a lot of our fellow travelers in the so-called liberty movement, people who uh, see themselves as fighters for liberty, they, they would say, good, like states should make these decisions, not the big bad federal government, like let the states locally decide whether abortion should be legal or restricted. And you say?
1: No, no. States, no. We have a, a, a bill of rights that limits the power of government, right? Everyone's, I hope, familiar enough with American civics to know that the first 10 amendments to the Constitution put things beyond the power of the federal government to do it all. The big bold words that begin the famous US Bill of Rights, Congress shall make no law. That is to say, no majority no democratic will can overcome person's freedom of religious exercise, freedom of speech, uh, freedom to peaceably assemble, uh, that there not be an established, and this is important here, an established religion in the United States. After the Civil War, we passed the 14th Amendment, and the intention of the 14th Amendment initially was to apply the rights that were protected, the individuals had protected against the federal government, against the states as well. Remember, the states could have slavery before the Civil War. After the Civil War, they passed amendments that eliminated both slavery and said that the privileges and immunities granted by the United States Constitution to US citizens apply now against the states. The Supreme Court initially didn't go along with the plain meaning and intention of the 14th Amendment. And through the course of the 20th century, it took numerous decisions before the Supreme Court finally, and not through the Privileges and Immunities Clause, but through the Due Process Clause, started enforcing the federal Bill of Rights against the states, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, the right to a trial, so forth. Mm -hmm. And by this point, the U.S. Bill of Rights has now been entirely applied against the states um and uh so this means that if there is a federal right and in the 1960s there was a tremendous change that happened a federal right of privacy was discovered uh, and determined to be true in the constitution now the legal argumentation that got them there was shaky it was really not based on founding fathers logic and only one justice even cited say the ninth amendment to the bill of rights which guarantees people all more rights than are listed in the Supreme in the uh, Bill of Rights explicitly, if that makes sense. But they discovered before the abortion right that there was no right a right to birth control, marital privacy, sexual privacy. Since the abortion decisions, uh, gay sex, gay relationships, gay marriage. Has now been acknowledged to be have now been acknowledged to be rights by the Supreme Court, but all of these are emanations from the right to privacy uh, that the Supreme Court believes is implicit in the right to liberty. And i'm not sure i'm comfortable with that logic seems to me that we are guaranteed the right to liberty in both the fifth and the 14th amendments to the united states constitution against both the federal government and state governments and liberty means liberty in my mind the freedom the actual freedoms that are were envisioned by the drafters of the bill of rights and the 14th amendment and those are much broader than anything specific that they they spoke of freedom of speech. No, they didn't know, for example. No, they didn't know that there'd be an internet or television or modern technology or media. No, but they did use big, broad language that was not limited to, well, you know, newspapers and pamphlets of our time. No, the Supreme Court, the, uh, as the Supreme Court has acknowledged, the Bill of Rights talks in big, broad language. They meant it to encompass uh, liberty that they were not anticipating. They 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 had not yet uh, uh, considered. So it is not enough. And that's one of the big decision problems with Alito, in my mind, His decision. When you look at the draft decision that's been leaked, he focuses on our history and tradition, and we are bound by the history and tradition of American law, not the principled abstract language of the Bill of Rights.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, it's it's uncomfortable that so many of the protection of the rights that we enjoy are seem to be hinging on the right to privacy as if that's like the essential, the fundamental, really, it should be, uh, your right to, I mean, uh, the pursuit of happiness, your your right to live by your judgment, to speak, think, uh, produce and own what you've produced or, or purchased. So like, um, the fact that uh, so much of this is hinging on the right to privacy makes it feel kind of fickle. Like, uh, is, is that going to be enough? Technically also, Um, Sort of spiritually, are people going to be inspired to to uh, stand up for the right to abortion and other social issues um, when it's all about the right to privacy? Is that how strongly people care about privacy, per se? So it's a it's a bit of a bit of a tough uh, uh, position we're in as defenders of liberty. But I I mean, it's better than nothing, at least that this right to privacy is is.
1: That's all we've got. We're kind of hanging on by our fingernails Mm -hmm. to a a substantive aspect of individual rights that is absolutely important. A -hmm. person's right to the control of their own body, to the ability to, and in my mind, it comes down to something this simple. I have the right to evict anyone from my body at any time. It's my body. It's that simple. As a matter of legal right, it's that simple to me. I can evict anyone, I know I'm not a woman with a uterus, but I can evict anyone from my body who takes up residence in it at any time, and that's a fundamental right of mine, an aspect of my fundamental right to liberty. The United States Constitution, as I say in both, the Constitution, both in the Bill of Rights, the Fifth Amendment, and in the Fourteenth Amendment, which protects our liberties against state infringements, protect our rights to life, liberty, and property. Those cannot be deprived without due process. And what does due process mean is in effect uh, the question. The Supreme Court has, and get this, I, I'm, I have to agree with the leftist critics of this in the sense that there is at least a theoretical threat to all of these other rights, the right to get birth control, the right to sexual privacy, the, right, the freedom to have sex if you're gay. It's that simple, there were sodomy laws were upheld as as late as the early 1980s and have only been overturned in recent decades that made it a crime to have homosexual sex at all a crime mm-hmm. and the, the, all those rights may be now on the chopping block because there's nothing in the constitution alito makes a big point in this draft decision of saying there's nothing in the constitution about abortion well there's nothing in the constitution about birth control or the privacy of marital sex or the privacy of, of sex between same sex couples. All these other uh, aspects of the right to privacy are now in danger in my mind. Even though Alito goes out of his way to say abortion special, nonetheless, this is a direct assault on the doctrine that you point out is. Sort of an unfortunate, unfortunately weak theoretical basis uh, for these, the enforcement of these uh, aspects of our right to the liberty, uh, uh, this right to privacy, too nebulously defined uh, and not defined in terms of the Constitution itself. Both liberals and conservatives are happy to depart from constitutional language when it suits them.
0: Mm -hmm. now that now you meant you you mentioned like uh i have the right to evict anyone from my body is it uh, let me ask is that the best way to look at it because i could see like a, a rothbardian type saying like extending that to i can i can kick this infant out of my house if i want to or i can starve this infant it's my property it's my life so is it is it best to think of it as like i can evict this this mini person from my body or or is it better to think of it just like um Until birth, I have the right to pursue my happiness. And if that entails an abortion, then then that's my choice. Do you see? Well, I think
1: parents have a special right. I don't think, for example, strangers have any particular legal obligation to take care of your children or keep them in their house. Uh So but the point is the parents have a right but have an obligation. an obligation once the child is born precisely because they chose to have a child the more you take away that choice element the more you diminish in my mind the legal and moral basis for the obligation that parents have to take care of their children so i wouldn't put it that way at all but you're right The, the actual justification obviously for abortion is the right of living human beings the right of born human beings to control their own bodies and lives so i was looking at it from the standpoint of the rights of a living adult person to control what's going on in their body um, and to, to have no strangers take up uh, residence against uh, their uh, constant uh, permission. And that's what it would require in my mind. That's why I am a very radical about the law on the subject. There may be moral issues about abortion and irresponsible abortions that happen uh, throughout pregnancy. But the point is that so long as this human being exists in someone else's body as a part of it, as dependent on it, uh, the, the person, the woman in question has a right to remove it from her body, legally speaking, legally speaking. Uh, there may be ethical issues short of that, but sure there's irresponsible abortion, and it's always a tragic decision. And the real moral justification, if that's what you're asking for abortion, is the right of a living woman to control her own life. Having, taking a child all the way to term uh, to be born is quite a thing to ask of a person to do to their body giving them the moral obligation to take care of this child is also quite a thing to do something to a person's life it can destroy careers it can destroy happiness it can bring unwanted children in this world who are then be neglected and abused it can cause uh, Ill- and this is a terrifying reality it will cause illegal abortions for people who are desperate not to have babies under certain circumstances so it is the life of act of the lives of actual women that are the moral justification They have a right to pursue careers. They have a right to pursue their own happiness, as the declaration states. So yeah, the substance of the right is the life of the woman, the whole life of the woman. And if you don't give her control over her body and reproduction, then in effect, you've commandeered her whole life. You've defined her not as an independent entity with rights, but as this breeding farm animal whose duty in effect if she chooses to be a sexually active human being a a normally sexually active human being to be subject to this in effect the slavery of being a parent Mm -hmm. affecting her whole life
0: yeah uh so people they often make like negative arguments so like uh anti-abortion people they'll point out that you know irrational people or short-sighted people will kind of abuse the abortion uh availability and uh some defenders of abortion also kind of make a negative argument they say what there's rape incest and you know stuff like that emergencies you know that 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 meet that that could happen so you should have the right to abortion but but we're saying it's not so much about those uh those it's, it's about if a rational person, a rational woman, wants to live a rational moral life, to get in her way is abhorrent. Abhorrent. Mm-hmm. Life, life is about living, living your life.
1: If you can't yeah. live the substance of your own life, all of your rights. See, I compare abortion, in effect, to like a military conscription. It's mm-hmm. the state asserting ownership over your life, over your happiness, directly. Yeah. It's a form of slavery, in effect.
0: I compare it to slavery. It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I think it's a fair comparison or the uh, barnyard breeding, some as you those, mentioned.
1: Some of those comparisons are interesting. I mean, mm-hmm. from a moral standpoint, for example, if you're going to make an exception for rape and incest, and you're saying that abortion is murder, why isn't it murder of the fetus that's a product of rape? Right. I mean murder's murder, right? Yeah, so can I kill a bastard if I see them? Yeah. Exactly. It does shatter the logic of the mm-hmm. pro you know, the people who want to uh, laws against abortion in my mind if they do make that exception, but consider how cruel the other outcome would be. Forcing a woman, forcing say a 13-year-old who's a victim of incest from her uncle to have that baby or forcing a woman who's been violently raped to have the baby of her rapist. Uh think of that cruel result. Uh, so yeah, uh, the, the, the anti-abortion people are anti-human life in the broadest sense. They claim to be pro they claim that term pro-life, but they are anti-human adult life. They're anti-human life there after birth. That's for sure.
0: So they say they're pro-life now to them. Life is, I think what you might call like an intrinsic type of value, like just inherent, just being technically alive, even if you're plugged into the wall, as many people are in the hospital who the Christians refuse to unplug Uh they're, they're plugged in and to the extent they're conscious they're in, in horrible pain, but no life is sacred so can't 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 unplug a, 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 a very old person and cannot abort a, you know, one day old fetus. Um, yeah. So life isn't intrinsically valuable to them. But uh, when when we think of life, it's, it's, it's mostly uh, pertains to adults, like people, the, the more efficacious they are, the more they're able to reason and follow their judgment, the more they're living as a human being. And those are the types of lives that rights were meant to protect or that rights apply to. Uh, now, people, they use pictures as arguments. So the the anti-abortion people will use pictures of, you know, horrible images of, of abortions. The Protectors of women's rights might use a, invoke a picture of a an, a back alley abortion to show like look what happens or various other pictures. If we needed to pick pick a picture uh, to protect the right to abortion, picture a picture of someone living a good life. Women, men, just people with a good childhood that that were born in in suitable circumstances. Women able to pursue the life they want, which may include children someday. Um, That's the type of picture that, uh, that I'd like to invoke if we're going to protect abortion,
1: a happy family that was able to decide how many children they would have. And therefore the children were all given the proper upbringing, you know, um, you know, I, I think of, when I think of, pic, it's not a picture, and you can't reduce an argument to a picture. This is conceptual. As Dr. Peekoff has pointed out, you could use those fetus pictures. You could use a picture of a dead body just as convincingly. Mm-hmm. And you're absolutely right. It's purely religious. It's purely moral intrinsicism that's behind this. It can only be a kind of moral intrinsicism. Indeed, it can only be a religious doctrine about life and an intrinsic line that's crossed. I mean, what is really the difference between... The sperm and the ovum and the zygote, you know, two seconds after the two have come together. Is there a moral difference there? Well, obviously not obviously there 's no moral significance indeed there 's obviously no moral significance uh, uh, for you know throughout this period of development it 's absolutely misleading that we have these high you know resolution blown up pictures of fetuses in the first few weeks, which you really have to see under a microscope, and that gets totally distorting so pictures are not arguments. They require a concept, broader conceptual understanding of this. And if I were to pick a picture, I'd like I say I'd pick a family that was able to choose the number of kids, whether to have kids and the number of kids, and then show the happiness as a result. You know, for my childhood, I have the memory of that Orthodox Catholic family that lived across the street from us. Where the woman went through 12 pregnancies because they didn't believe in birth control at all and their duty to you know be fruitful and uh, multiply according to the bible and uh in my experience none of those children got the proper parental attention that they needed i mean i I saw the misery and suffering that that caused the father had to work so hard just to feed those kids much less have any you know joy and happiness for himself and his wife and some kids and they all suffered
0: as a result, and and they were lucky at least to have a two parent household and to, oh yeah they uh, were presumably have an adult woman birth them not a you know young teenager or whatever so I mean there's just
1: ask her if she would have had these kids on her own mm-hmm. probably, yeah. no I wouldn't have had nearly so many kids on my own but it was my religious duty that mm-hmm. was the mother's perspective.
0: Yeah, so uh, it's uh, it's no coincidence I think that the religious conservatives are not out there handing out birth control in the streets, if which they should do if they're so opposed to abortion. No, they they tend to uh, encourage abstinence and say you know don't uh, don't have sex with someone you're not already married to and want to have kids with. And I'll point this out. This is you know anecdotal, but uh, you know I've I've lived a i I've had a considerable number of experiences. I've met a number of people. I've I've had contact with Republicans. And I don't mean, you know, random Republican voters. I mean, the the who's who of the, um, you know, the the party, the events, the 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 tastemakers, as they're called, like I've hung around some country club Republican types. And I'll tell you, you rarely see them having kids out of wedlock. And I'll tell you, it's not because they're not getting laid so <laughs> yeah I'm pretty if, sure of that too <laughs> so you know it's like uh even if you take precautions every once in a while, uh, there may be the need to either have a kid out of wedlock or get an abortion, and you don't see them having kids out of wedlock, so I'm gonna guess they've got the you know uh philosopher King mentality in these elitist circles, like you know if we need an abortion, just you know you see the
1: statistics on it a majority of. <laughs> A majority of fertile age Catholic women use birth control against the dictates of the church. Mm -hmm. So the Catholic church doesn't control at least a large segment of American Mm -hmm. uh, Catholics and their decisions, uh, but it does affect uh, many of them. (laughs) Yeah, They they would outlaw birth control, every artificial means of birth control other than the rhythm method.
0: Absolutely. So. And and what I'm uh, suggesting is that the sort of uh, the elitist Republicans, the ones with wealth and prestige and who kind of set the policy and run for office, if they need an abortion, they'll they'll generally get away with it, just like they can get away with a lot of things. But the little people, you know, the voters, the, 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 the peasants, they can they can uh, carry their their unwanted and, children to terms because their lives are not as important. Right.
1: Well, that's exactly right. And let's consider exactly what the effect would be. Uh, it would if, if you're a poor person living in the middle of the South, your access to abortions are going to be dramatically affected unless you can you know, go hundreds of miles to another state and get and acquire an abortion. Your your access to that abortion is going to be affected in misses, places like Mississippi dramatically, dramatically. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's the ordinary people who are going to suffer.
0: Of course, um, the the poorest, most vulnerable people are going to suffer the most as a result of this. Um, and um, let me ask this. The Supreme Court judges, uh, you, you said, were appointed by Trump that are maybe bringing us in this direction of repealing Roe v. Wade. Do you know who what was what could have happened if Hillary had won in 2016? Like who might be on the Supreme Court? What would be some of the um, decisions that people were speculating might have come out in the last several years if Hillary had won. Well, surely
1: after the death of Scalia, she would have been able to replace an important conservative with an important liberal. And then when uh, an important uh, liberal retired uh, 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 and Ginsburg died, um, then she would have been able to, again, replace liberals with liberals. And in the case of Ginsburg, it made a huge decision to the balance of the court. And so, if Hillary had been president, uh, there's no question right now Roe would be uh, upheld um, right now. But is,
0: but is there any other uh, policies? Like, were were we going to become significantly more socialist? Like, I'm 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 wondering if there was uh, if there is anything that See, was. The
1: other side to that coin, the mm-hmm. the Democrats have lost all touch with the actual word, all touch with the actual words and the constitution i mean entirely and so they really don't care it's a question of power and what they think the proper policy is and that's how they'll decide supreme court decisions right we we on the left simply want this outcome and we'll find a way to get there is basically how they do it and my great fear and my continuing great fear is that with a liberal majority they would find substantive welfare rights in this uh, you know so far the rights have basically been uh, the, in general, the concept of the founding fathers. Is it a violation of your individual liberty that's being uh, affected here? Uh, But there are many out there on the left who have been repeatedly in the legal literature arguing for substantive welfare rights being acknowledged by the United States Supreme Court, requiring the federal government to provide coercively obtained tax supported funds and use them in certain ways. Um, and I am, I am desperately afraid that the next time we, we get a left leaning majority on the Supreme court, such substantive rights will be acknowledged.
0: Yeah. And the next, uh, Supreme court judge at some point in the future that agrees with the Democrats that welfare rights are need to be expanded might actually be appointed by a Republican. I know that's a might be crazy. Oh, wow.
1: Well, Republicans One thing that has happened, of course, you know, once upon a time, uh, Supreme Court justices were thought to be above politics, and so it didn't really matter what you thought their ideology was. And but that changed, and that changed in my lifetime when when uh, Robert Bork was nominated back in the late nineteen eighties. Senator, very liberal uh, Senator Ted Kennedy changed the whole way we approach. Uh, uh, Supreme Court justices and philosophy since then has become an increasingly important element. Democrat senators now basically vote on ideology and uh, that doesn't mean that they won't be able to smear a Kavanaugh personally if they can get away with it, uh, however weak or false the allegations, and so they'll try that because it's a power play for them, a pure power play for them uh um, republican senators are now finally majority on board several republicans still drag their feet about making ideology and philosophy a condition but most republicans have now fallen into line and the new rule over the last 20 or 30 years is that senators now will vote on uh, nominees based on philosophy based on philosophy that has changed in our lifetime another dramatic change in the way American uh, government works in appointing Supreme Court justices.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a it's a scary time and it's a sad time in in so many ways. I know uh, you mentioned like there there used to be like a talking point on the anti-abortion side, which was like we can make an exception if the if the fetus is going to be born with a horrible defect or something. But more recently, some five years ago or, or maybe less, I saw out of Ohio, there was Uh, some legislation saying if you know that your fetus is going to be mentally disabled in some way, that makes it illegal to abort. Whereas if you didn't know, like you can get an abortion legally. So, I mean, are these people pro-life? Are they, are they, do they want human beings alive as human beings? If these are, if they're going out of their way to prevent the abortion of a, of a future baby that will never live independently, that will never live by its own judgment, um, are these people really allies in the fight for liberty and the pursuit of happiness, I ask rhetorically? I think not. Um, I think, yeah. Clearly, people not. Need to, uh, We need to be more selfish, I like to say. People all on every, si- every aisle, every, everywhere, all through the, the political scene and all through the country and the world need to be more selfish. They need to be inspired by the vision of what's possible. They need to see the world as a wonderful playground full of opportunity. And when that's their attitude towards life, then they'll understand that abortion, like other forms of technology, like other tools for living, uh, are there for exactly that, for a living. Um, yeah,
1: the vast majority of abortions, and I mean the vast majority of abortions, happen within the first trimester and happen before viability. occur within the first few weeks. Uh, 75% of abortions, even in Mississippi, and I checked that out, occur well before viability. Um, And uh, it's only in cases where there's, and you can't even discover these extreme deformities or uh, disabilities that are developing in the child you know, or I won't call it a child, in the embryo. <laughs> Joe Biden let it slip the other day and called it a child, much to his left-wing friend's uh, uh, dismay. It's really not a child. A child is born, a separate entity. Uh, but it, the unborn fetus, uh, the, the status of that unborn fetus, if, if we are going to enter this realm of saying that this fetus somehow, somehow has intrinsically this right to life, then, of course, there's no logical way to parse that. We have to say, okay, you've crossed this magic line. Therefore, it's a human life and kick in all the, all the rights. And this would include deformed children. This would include cases where the a woman's uh, health might be at risk. And there are certainly states that are willing to ignore the health and only have the potential death of the mother be a factor in whether or not there, there's an abortion. Uh, but you've got one human life a, versus another as far as they're concerned, right? So why should even that be the case? Why should even that be the case once you've stepped down this path there's no way to stop it in my mind uh you may as well ban all abortions conceptually because as i say these people are banning abortions in mississippi well before fetal viability at all well before fetal viability at all these people won't hesitate if they can get away with that to go further Mm -hmm. and they want to
0: another question before we get to super chats um so when it comes to the fight for capitalism, I think it's pretty clear at this point that Republicans and conservatives are odd bedfellows that basically do more harm than good, I think, when the, when the dust settles. Um, but that's a whole other episode, I suppose. But now when it comes to defending the right to abortion, obviously now uh, we're allied with some of the craziest kooks of the left. Are they, are they defending abortion in a way that is, that is hurting the cause the same way that conservatives defense of capitalism has been shown to hurt the cause?
1: Oh yeah, Yeah. oh yeah. (laughs) If there's hypocrisy on the right that makes their position look absurd, uh, there's surely (laughs) hypocrisy on the left which makes their position look absurd, but they don't in the first instance have the correct philosophical basis for it. That, you know, at least you'll find among some left-wing defenders of it, the idea about a, a living adult woman's right to her own life choices and happiness. You'll at least find some You'll find some, uh, but you won't find the, for example, the objectivist defense, Ayn Rand's defense or Leonard Peikoff's defense of abortion. (laughs) And what's important about that is that it plug into a broader and consistent understanding, a principled understanding of individual rights. You know, the Bill of Rights breaks down our rights in terms of freedom of speech, you know, jury trial, freedom of religious exercise and so forth. Uh, But rights are really one. Rights are a unity. And that's, you know, even the Founding Fathers understood this better than any modern conservative or liberal does. It's the fundamental right to live your own life, to pursue happiness, to live an actual life. And all the, of these rights are merely expressions of our basic right to liberty, which is a fundamental requirement of human life by man's nature that's the sort of thing that the left does not understand because were they to have a principled understanding of rights anything like the the founders they know perfectly well that many of their own schemes would fall apart yeah um, like i say after power
0: and in the age of social media we've seen a lot of like grotesque like celebrations of abortion in a way that's not like maybe the type that i would like to see it's it's like um it's like like who cares like yes i've had 20 abortions like so what and it's just it does not uh does not help does not inspire people uh to to defend this right oh
1: no it does not you know obviously if a woman is using abortion as her means of birth control if she's irresponsibly just having pregnancy after pregnancy that's a moral issue in my mind it truly is a moral issue it's not yet a legal issue and all of those issues need to be parsed and understood uh Uh, in a better way, if you're going to have actually a sound defense, a human defense of abortion as a uh, a right, uh, which I believe it is.
0: Well, we could go on and on, but we've got some super chats. Uh, Marilyn says, thank you for this discussion and background on a critical issue. Equal to reality says, may the fourth be with you. Oh, there you go. It is May the fourth. Jonathan Honig says, read Share Dr. Peekoff's abortion rights are pro-life on his website. Only objectivism has the moral answer to on this. Remember, Rand in 1976, Moynihan versus Buckley. She went with Moynihan because of abortion. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Now, and she I, I, Ronald Reagan because of his association with the moral majority and uh, their religious based demand that got Ronald Reagan to change his position on abortion and she focused on abortion as one of her key reasons for opposing Ronald Reagan in 1980 absolutely. This was a critical issue for Ayn Rand. And I want to just do a plug for uh, uh, ARC UK. Ayn Rand Center UK, uh, Friday before last, that was exactly the Leonard Peakoff essay we covered. So mm-hmm. a very recent uh, ARC UK uh, discussion between myself and Robert and Amy Nacer uh, discussed that very talk by Dr. Peacock. And yes, Jonathan, that's an, that is the place, the go-to place on this.
0: <laughs> yeah. And we're linking to it in the chat and the description as well. Um, the Iron uh, Rand's political uh, positions often would surprise people. Like she, she absolutely detested the libertarian movement or party. She said she would vote for anyone before the libertarians. Similarly, when there seemed to be this sort of like swing in the direction of free markets and and right and you know uh, kind of like individual rights uh, and sort of like something like capitalism via Reagan and the Moral Majority, Rand said, "Hell no." Um, I'm not, I'm not like, like she, I guess she, she saw the, uh, philosophical, uh, direction that the culture was moving and kind of saw its consequences if left unchecked. And, uh, I, I mean, I, that's, I think that's the kind of, uh, the best way to look at politics. I mean, the immediate policy, yes, it has very serious consequences, but if the immediate policy is desirable, but comes married to a very, very problematic philosophical premise, That could spell enormous disaster in the future.
1: And boy, you said a mouthful there. Ayn Rand, 40 years ago, more than 40 years ago, uh, predicted the right moving in this religious direction. She foresaw bad consequences. And it could be that this year we're getting the, I mean, sometimes it takes decades for Ayn Rand's prophecies to come true, but she was exactly correct the right was heading in this religious direction, imposing unconstitutionally their religious, intrinsic view of morality on this topic. And in my view, that's inconsistent with the establishment clause. That is imposing religious ideas through law. And that's exactly what she saw. And it's now coming to pass, just as she predicted.
0: Yeah, I really like her uh, might have been her final Ford Hall forum lecture uh, where she rails against Reagan and the state of the leftists of her time as well. Just talking about uh, how pathetic um, like the 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 atheists or the secularists were when faced with religious zealotry. So the religious people would make moral pronouncements and the, uh, the skeptic, you know, the, the skeptic atheist, them, uh, you know, uh, secularists, they would say like, Oh, you don't think we're moral. Like Rand would like mock them. Oh, you don't think we're moral. Like, come on, but we are more like trying to like grovel before the religious people. I mean, that shows you the power of moral certainty and of, and of no and of knowing what you believe in, which is why philosophy is so important. So uh, the battle is, waging uh jonathan says james is friggin awesome hey, watch <laughs> your watch your language there jonathan uh, <laughs> well at the risk of repeating that language jonathan you're pretty friggin awesome too <laughs> all right uh bonnie thank you for the super chat and we got one more from roland he says james speaks truth to power as always thanks for this excellent show on this so- somber topic yeah it's, uh, you know, saying it's the best. it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. What's that from? You probably might know, right? Uh, is that? Charles
1: Dickens great expectations. It's the beginning. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, no, Tale of Two Cities, excuse me. That's so, right. Opening line of Tale of Two Cities.
0: And the Tale of Two Cities is a short story or a poem? Well, it's a novel. A, a long novel. Okay. Very That's
1: nice. Longer works. Yeah.
0: Okay. Very good. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was a day like any other. Except it it wasn't. That's like the beginning of a a detective story. All right. Uh, Coming up today at 10 p.m. UK time, it's the cutting edge with Lee Pearson on the will to perceive a new perspective on perceptual level choice. And that's uh, fascinating. My God, that idea sounds fascinating. <laughs> if I understood what that meant, I would, I would agree. But, hey, I mean, we'll, cash, well learn all about well, it. As objectivists, we know that the conceptual
1: level is purely volitional. But mm-hmm. does that conceptual level have a feedback effect on choices we make about perception? Um, just give you that as a little drum roll.
0: <laughs> yeah, interesting. I guess um, we do see sometimes... Um, that what we believe affects our actual experience in a way like it's it's, it's hard hard for me to articulate what i'm getting what i'm at, gonna but, look uh, at mm-hmm.
1: what i uh, know actually will influence what what i use my perception
0: you ever watch like 90s sitcoms like The Fresh Prince or or Full House where like there's like uh, an episode where like there's disagreement among the family members and they each tell their side of the story, like what took place and each one remembers it like that makes the other party look like the bad guy. And it's, of it's course. highly exaggerated We're on both sides. We're not right?
1: going to remember it that way. We're
0: going to remember it this way. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All right. Okay, well, this is a lot of fun. Uh, hope you can return to the Daily Objective soon, James. Thank you for all your insight and knowledge. Always a pleasure, Rucka. Always a pleasure to talk to you, too. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, thank you, everybody. Uh, see you back here tomorrow for the Daily Objective, and it's the Thursday Collective tomorrow. That's a big one. Thank you all, and goodbye.